There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to today's show. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the introvert's edge, about how the quiet and shy can outsell anyone with uh, my guest today, Matthew Pollard. Before we talk to Matthew, I'd just like to say um, a, you know, a, a big sort of... Uh, um, a big kind of welcome to uh, whoever's listening and wherever you are from around the world. And for those of you who uh, are maybe just listening and very recently enjoyed Thanksgiving, I hope you had a great time. I hope this uh, next year for you is a, a wonderful year, a very, um, very sort of effective and profitable and successful, whatever you want it to be, really. Now, I want to say a thank you to my host uh, of a couple of weeks ago, Mr. John Jennings, who interviewed me on the last show around strategic change and consultancy. And because of uh, it was Thanksgiving last year and the st- week and the station was closed, we repeated that show. So I want to thank people for the positive feedback on it. And if you're in a company, you're navigating change right now, it's part of your role, which is actually part of most people's roles today, or you're a consultant helping companies navigate through change, then you should find that session really invaluable. So today, I've got to be honest, I'm a bit weary. I had a late night out last night. I had a few drinks uh, with uh, some of my ex-colleagues from um, Mars. Um, I used to work in the confectionery part of the business about 20 years ago now. And 97 of us who've now left the company got together. There's a few more gray hairs among us. Um, but it was just great to see how successful you many people have become and to go back and listen to some of the stories I was sitting on a table of ex-sales associates, which included myself, and we had a great time talking about all sorts of situations and scenarios that happened to us while we were selling confectionery and ice cream products and vending machines. Uh, Most of us, though, had been more in the extroverted spectrum in that culture. We were really good talkers. And as a sales trainer, I used to go in and observe salespeople. I spent many hours with them as well as training them on the, on the uh, job and also in workshops and that sort of thing. I was really aware that uh, they, they weren't always the best when it came to questioning, to, uh, to listening. There were skills actually that are more uh, suited and uh, more in the natural flow of introverted people. You know, introverts aren't comfortable with traditional tactics like aggressively pushing a product or taking over a customer's objections, uh, according to my guest, Matthew Pollard, and I'd agree with him. But sales is a skill that anyone can learn and master. And introverts are especially good at it once they learn how to leverage their natural strengths. Um, So I'm delighted today to welcome Matthew Pollard. He's the rapid growth guy. He's dedicated to helping small business owners succeed. His methods have transformed now more than 3,500 struggling businesses into profitable success stories. He's the founder and executive director of Small Business Festival, which is ranked apparently among the top five in the nation in the U.S. by Inc. Magazine, and the author of The Introvert's Edge, How the Quiet and Shy Can Outsell Anyone. So he's the author of it. Matthew is in the International Sales Blogger Awards Hall of Fame. He's been featured or published in Entrepreneur, CEO Magazine, Inc., Fortune, Forbes, and many other publications. So, a huge welcome today to my guest, Matthew Pollard. G'day, mate. Very happy to be here. 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm just. Can we guess where you come from, Matthew? Well, I thought it would make it easy for people, right? No, I um, I try to pull off because I moved to Austin, Texas, about five years ago. So I tried telling people I came from North Texas, but apparently it was it was a hard sell. So I. I, yeah, I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and uh, I've lived in the U.S. for about five years now. So I absolutely love it here, but uh, obviously looking forward to going home for Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah, wonderful. The last time I went to Melbourne, I, I missed my flight. It was quite um, yeah, quite stressful getting back to Sydney. and uh, I was just, But I was very lucky because although I was an hour and a half late, uh, the pilot had also got stuck in the same traffic jam. So I literally walked straight on. Oh, um, gosh. That's incredibly <laughs> lucky. So I hope it doesn't happen to you when you go back, but it's a great well, place. <laughs> my last time flying home, I flew in out through New Zealand. I got stuck on the tarmac for eight hours. So I am just hoping that everything connects and goes smoothly. I mean, normally the bigger flights are much better than the smaller flights. So fingers crossed, but I am flying out through Chicago and it gets quite cold there. So fingers crossed it all works out. Yeah, it can be chilly in Chicago, can't it, in the winter. Um, so you say you live in Austin, Texas now. Have you, or have, have you not moved to Carolina or somewhere? Yes. Remember. So interesting story. So I lived in Austin for about uh, about just under four years. I just fell in love with that city. And, you know, every story has a girl in it, right? So I met a girl in, uh, in Austin uh, when I was traveling in 2013 and made the decision that I was going to move there. Uh, and, you know, I... People knew who I was in Melbourne, Australia, but you know I didn't know a soul uh, when I was in Austin, Texas, when I first got there outside my girlfriend, now fiance. And it was always her dream to move to North Carolina. She just loves the mountains. She loves the trees. And it's one of the great things about doing what we do, isn't it? We, you know, my, all my, I've been responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories, like you said in my bio, but they're all bricks and mortar stores or direct sales people and telemarketing companies, but they had to have physical presences in a specific place where now I was like, well, I work from my laptop. So if you want to go there, that's fine. I, I told uh, my executive assistant who was located in Austin, Texas, that we're, we're now going to work remote. And yeah, I just work from my laptop. I mean, I'm only really in Austin a small amount of time anyway because I'm speaking all the time. So it just it worked out wonderfully. So she gets to, to be in the place she absolutely loves. And the nice side effect was I actually really love it here too. It's unbelievable, this area. Really? Uh, it sounds, sounds great. Is it? I, I, it was my wife who brought me to this area in Leicestershire in England as well. So yeah. <laughs> We just do what we're told, right? <laughs> we, we do, yeah. But I, a bit like you, I, I came here and I lived in London at the time and I just thought actually the, sc- the scenery here is really nice and uh, the co- you know the countryside is quite quite beautiful uh, and uh, I always sort of imagined actually settling and having a family and somewhere a little bit more with a bit more you know ruralness uh, about it um, so um, I'm very happy here actually. I can I can imagine I mean that's something that I I, th- I think Chapel Hill is is really great for as well I mean Austin is a wonderful city it's it's one of the best places to be if you want to be an entrepreneur and start a new business because you know San Francisco has got that ridiculously high price tag so your burn rate is well high while you're trying to create something where mm-hmm. Austin seems to has that have that great mix between affordable living a great ecosystem for startups and small business and it's just a, a really great place to live for going out and meeting the right people I mean it's more like eight networking events a day that happen in Austin and the food's wonderful it's got that Mexican culture but you come out to Chapel Hill North Carolina and you know they still have there it's it's said that it's about 10 years behind Austin but there's just so much space here there's so many trees there's great places to go for walks there's mountains there's a beach a couple of hours away and it is it's one of those places I think it's rated as the uh, you know the apex region which is just around the corner here uh, is rated as one the number one number one or in the top 10 
of places to live to bring up a family. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm kind of feeling like I need to, need to visit one day. Sounds uh, Come check yeah. it out, mate. Well, I'll, uh, I will sh- share a porridge grace for a Guinness with you. Oh, that sounds, that sounds perfect. Um, <laughs> one of my favourites. Uh, so to tell us a little bit, just Matthew, to, to give some perspective to you. you. You mentioned there that you were brought up in you're from Melbourne originally. Yeah, what was life like growing for you? Because you've got this real entrepreneurial spirit about you. Is, is that partly in your DNA or is it something that you have uh, engendered yourself? You know, it was actually really interesting. So I come from what you would call a blue collar family. So my, you know, my, my mother w- got accepted to go to a really great business school when she was younger and her father sort of said, no, no child of mine is going to university. You're going to go into secretarial school where you're going to be able to get a good safe job. So that was kind of the culture growing up. Um, in, in the early stages, my mum was a secretary and my dad was the first to get a degree, but he was an industrial chemist. So he was working in a laboratory, still working with his hands in a lot of ways. However, what happened was my, my mother got a neck condition as I was growing up and while she was looking after us and she had to, she, she basically decided she was going to go back to business school. So I kind of heard around the, I basically listened to things like, uh, you know, rich dad, poor dad, e-myth. I was listening to this stuff around the dinner table growing up. So I could, I, I would easily say that I was kind of bought up on business, but not on application, just on theory. What actually happened, and it was pure happenstance, was that I was, I was a really introverted kid. It was really a byproduct of the fact that I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school because, you know, I had this learning condition. I had horrible acne, and I managed to do the trifactor by having braces at the same time. So I was really just uncomfortable about being around anybody. And I really just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I sort of said to my father, you know, and, and he agreed, was – I managed to get in the top 20% of the state for for the my educational scores or what we call our, um, what, what most Americans call, I think, the MSATs or something like that. But the I got into the top 20% of my state, and it, but it exhausted me. It took everything that I had. And I just said to my father, look, there is no way I can go to university next year if I don't know what I want to do because if I'm not passionate about it, I'm not going to be able to put in the energy. And, you know, that's actually one of the things that that self-awareness is something we should definitely talk about because I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't last the test of time because they don't have that passion for what they do because they're trying to focus on what they can make money out of, what not what lights them up. But yeah. for me, I just didn't have that. I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So I made the decision that I was going to go and take a job at a real estate agency. And that sounds like sales, I know, but I was actually the guy in the back office with a look on my face saying, don't talk to me. I'm here to do data entry and I'm here to find myself for the year, which worked wonderfully for about three weeks until my boss comes up to me and says, sorry, the company's shutting down and you're out of a job. I worked there three weeks and I remember I was, I was horrified. I mean, in, in Australia, we have our summer break and our Christmas all at the same time. And that means we go on holidays on the 20th of December and no one comes back till the 15th to 20th of January. So really there's no decision makers, no employers hiring. It's the worst time in the world to lose a job in Australia. But I couldn't go back to my father and say, hey dad, thanks for working 80 hours a week, breaking your back to support us. I know I promised I'd support myself, but my first day has been too hard. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to do it. I need to live off you again. So I went looking for another job and the only jobs that were hiring were of course commission only sales. I mean, they don't care if you survive, right? So. I took a job doing commission-only sales, and after five days' worth of product training, I got thrown out on a street and said, hey, go sell. And 
I remember about to walk into my first door and go, oh, gosh, no one's actually taught me how to do that, but I knew all the call rates. So I walked into door after door, getting rejected, getting told to get a real job, getting sworn at. People can be lovely around Christmas time. The stress kind of just hits them. It was 93 doors before my first sale. And I remember I walked out of that door absolutely ecstatic. But then I had this horrible realization, I've got to do this again tomorrow and for the rest of the year. And that was a real turning point for me. I made the decision that that was not okay. And I couldn't exactly pick up a Brian Tracy or a Zig Ziglar book. I mean, it would have, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. It would have taken me a year to read it. But I taught myself how to sell watching YouTube videos, learning the process, applying those steps, doing eight hours out in the field, then eight hours of practice and watching videos, then eight hours in the field. And within the space of six weeks, which sounds like a ridiculously low amount of time, because sales is ridiculously easy to learn once you know it's just a system like any other, not a natural gift of the gab skill. I I went from having no business being in sales to the number one salesperson in the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. Fast forward a year later, I've been promoted seven times. I was teaching hundreds of people how to do it. Fast forward to wealth, a few more years. I created you know, five multi-million dollar success stories, predominantly because of my ability to be able to teach a sales team how to just beat out any other of the competition. So, so um, what I'm finding really fascinating, listen, listening to you and, and your enthusiasm and passion for this, Matthew, is um, you describe yourself as an introvert. And, um, but, but listening to you now, you know, I've, I, I think most people listening would think, you know, this guy's a, you know, a raving extrovert. You know, he's right out there on that sort of spectrum. What happened to you? How did you, uh, you know, transform that inner introversion to this uh, confident you today? And I think that's one of the things most people don't understand. I didn't transform anything into an extrovert. And that's one of the things that introverts see they, they look out and they see people that are successful in what they do in public speaking, in networking, in sales, and they say, that person's a natural extrovert. I wish I was more like them. Well, what's been funny is, you know, my podcast is launching shortly called The Introvert's Edge, and I interviewed all these highly successful, you know, million-dollar business owners, people that are, you know, celebrities in their own marketplaces, everything from the founder of Ugg Boots, which is, you know, a billion-dollar brand uh, of, you know, the wolfskin boots coming from Australia all the way through to the number one business networking group in the world, BNI, uh, Ivan Meisner, to you know, <laughs> one of the, yeah, Ivan's great. And, you know, down to, he is, he's, he's amazing. And, but he discovered he was an introvert. And here's what I discovered. I mean, Jamie Masters is a great example. She is probably the number one interviewer that I've ever experienced. She's just amazing at developing rapport and getting you to tell stories you've never told on anyone else's show. She's great at what she did. And I've modeled a lot of the ways that I interview guests off what she does. But, you know, just having a dialogue with her, you know, because we're close friends. She's an Austin local. Um, and she sort of had that conversation with me where she said, you know, Matt, you know, you're interviewing all these guests and you're excited. You know, I'm an introvert too, right? I had no idea. And I think that the thing is that us as extra, as introverts, anytime we see someone successful in one of those forums, we assume that they're extroverted. That's not the case. Generally, it's a good, it's an introvert that has learned an unbelievable system to be successful in that forum. And that's what we miss out on. That's what us introverts don't realize. So I always say that an introvert is always a system away from beating an extrovert hands down. And the reason for that is an extrovert is based on their their ability is based on their emotions. So if they have a bad day, things go poorly. If they have a good day, things go well. But an introvert with a system will deliver a almost statistically normal, a continuous result over a long period of time, regardless of what's happening in their life. 
Yeah, that makes sense. You're using using that structure uh, to do that, but does it not um, you know get tiring if you, you know, in terms of this um, engaging way that you communicate? Are you not having to lift your energy to do that, or is that um, you know still part part of this system? Well, we can we can we can talk about that. I mean, realistically, one of the biggest drivers for me is that I'm doing what I absolutely love. And what I would find is a lot of people that aren't doing what they love, they're not aligned with their products, they're not congruent with what they do. Well, of course, it's going to be harder to drag yourself out of bed. But for me, I, I mean, you, you were saying you were weary, yet you're up interviewing me and I can't tell. Your energy levels are really high. Me personally, I just launched a brand new website two days ago, which is <clears> fixing a couple of the technical bugs. My, myself personally, I've had four hours sleep, yet... I'm still high on this because I love talking about this specific topic. Now, you get me to talk about something else that I'm less interested in, I'm going to be really, really tired. But that's the real thing. If you're passionate about it and you know exactly what you want to share, then, of course, you're going to light a fire in your belly and you're going to be able to share that. Now, a sidebar to that is that yes, I still require some downtime after doing something when I'm speaking in front of a group of people. This is more a conversation between two people, so it's less like that. But you'll notice that even though a lot of what I do is having just a general conversation with you because we've chatted before and, you know, I I consider this just a conversation between two people and, you know, introverts can do that. That doesn't mean that I don't use a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same elements that I use in a lot of other podcasts because us introverts, we take a question and we internalize it. And if we don't have a structure to what we do, sometimes we don't portray ourselves as well as we should. So why wouldn't you want to have a plan? Brilliant. Well, um, on that note, um, I'm going to let you have a couple of minutes downtime now, um, Matthew, to uh, get yourself recharged again for the next uh, <laughs> section. And uh, after the break, we're going to start to talk about, you know, some of the common problems introverts face. And we'll talk about, you know, a step, seven step um, proven process that really helps introverts uh, gain the edge when it comes to selling. So do join us again after the break. We'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Matthew Pollard, and we're talking about the introvert's edge. And Matthew, I wonder if you might just share with us now. I think you started to allude to some of this, but you know, what have you found are the common problems that introverts face when it comes to selling? Yeah, sure. I th- well, I think the most obvious one is that we just feel like we're selling from the moment we walk in the door. So we're uncomfortable, which means we make them uncomfortable. So we tend to become brochure salespeople and we talk about the features because we're technical based people, right? We focus on the detail. So because of that, it becomes this very detail focused conversation where because we feel uncomfortable talking about anything social or developing that rapport with a client, we tend to just get into this detail, 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 detail. We may, and a lot of times we overcomplicate that. We don't keep it lighthearted like a lot of extroverts do, which means at the end of it, the customer's like, oh my gosh, this is confusing. Look, could you send me a proposal? And then we end up writing these ridiculously detailed proposals. And then the customer generally doesn't even read it. They flick to the back page, look at the price and go, oh my gosh, not for that. And because we've built no value when we're sitting in in the phone, having the conversation, the customer then doesn't buy. I mean, I've got a a client uh, out of out of Austin actually, uh, and he's he's a he, he was a great guy. I mean, he's about twenty seven. He he had a chronic stutter, and his father inherited some money from his uh, from his mother, and he decided to invest that money into his son to start his own videography business. Now, this guy's also married, so he's now working in the business with his father and his wife. Not only that, he has another staff member and he's paying for a studio. So as you can imagine, you've got a lot of fixed expenses in that business, yet he is making less than $100,000 in revenue to do all of that with. He is going out and networking like crazy, even though he's an introvert, because he knows he's got you know his family's life savings on the line, and he's out there talking to people, and every meeting go ends up with, oh, can you send me a proposal? So he's working late nights every night, writing these detailed proposals, and then following them up later where they either don't respond, or eventually he gets onto them and they said, oh, no, we decided to go with somebody else. So this is the problem that a lot of introverts have, and the reason for that is that they find that they want to explain things with detail. Now, of course, the extrovert uses a lot of sales tactics, bulldog sales closings, that sort of thing. What an introvert needs to do is they need to tell stories. So what I did is I said to Alex, what you need to do, and we can talk about the steps of the sale because there were some things that need to go first, but this was a key element for Alex. What I said is, Alex, stop telling them all the things you can do. First, focus on a couple of things that you do well. But secondly, instead of telling them the details, tell them a story of someone just like them 
who they did sp- this specific thing for and the outcome that they got and prepare that story in advance so that you can ad- ad- you can spend the time focusing on the person as opposed to thinking about what you're going to say next now at first obviously that sounded to him like he was going to sound robotic because it was you know he was scripting his sale and i said mate when you watch tv like, you see all the actors in that show? Do they sound natural? He's like, well, yeah. I said, you know that comes from a script, right? I said, the difference is that they read the script, they, they embrace the script, they embody it, they then make it their own, and then they tell it. But they're not even their stories. These are your real stories. But what I want you to do is I want you to start telling people about a person like them, what you did for them, as opposed to the detail you can do for the specific client, the detail about what you did for this specific person and then talk about the outcome and why they were so happy. As mm. soon as he started doing that, his sales went through the roof because A, stories have, a, uh, they're wonderful for two reasons. One is people remember the detail embedded in a story up to 22 times more than just given the facts. And the best example I can give you of that, if I told you the story of Goldilocks and the three bears, then you will go, oh, yeah, she slept in some beds, she ate some porridge, and she broke a chair. But if I said, remember porridge, beds, and chairs, and three years, I ask you later, what were those three items? You'd be like, I don't know. Mm. So people remember stories, the detail in stories, much more. But also, it creates a natural resonance between the storyteller and the story listener. It artificially creates rapport. So as an introvert, if we can tell good stories, we develop that rapport that we're perhaps not that good at otherwise. And that makes such a profound difference. But at the end of it, instead of saying, here are all the things I think I can do for you, and the customer says, well, let me feel, let me evaluate whether or not I believe that you can do this for me. And secondly, to so I can extrapolate what I think that outcome will be for me. Instead, in the story, you've told them that you have done it. And this was the outcome for a person just like them. The byproduct of that is the customer says, well, I can't disagree with the fact that it works because that's that person. That's a real person. So I have to take the moral of the story is you know what you're doing and you've already done it. And I can see the outcomes for that person. And if that's a person like me, then obviously it's an outcome that I can get as well. Now, there's some details we can talk about later about why understanding your customer, having a strong unified message and picking a niche of willing to buy clients before you get to the selling gives you such a huge advantage because then you're always talking to the exact right people. And a lot of people start with sales, which is not the place to start, but a lot of times to get their business back on life support, they've got to get the sales element done to the best they can and then focus on the strategy. But for an introvert, the biggest milestone ever is to get out of the detail and start telling stories. Mm. Well, I think that's also you know, a, a good a good advice for an extrovert too. You know, to tell <laughs> to tell stories. It's uh, it's not just um, something an introvert should have the monopoly on because, as you say, people really engage with stories. Well, here's the thing. Anybody, the system that I teach in the introverts edge works for both introverts and extroverts. Here's what I find. Introverts need a system because they're desperate. So they will put in the work in the short term to get the long-term results. I mean, as I said, I worked my I worked like crazy for six weeks to watching YouTube videos for eight hours a day and then going to put it out in the field. But in six weeks, I became the number one salesperson in the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere, and I got to benefit from that forever. Most introverts are willing to put in the tough work now because they know what it's like to chase clients and not get results and spend all this time writing proposals. The amount, the dividend pays back within just a few weeks. 
for an extrovert, they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to put in all that work. I mean, that's like writing stories and learning the stories. I just don't want to be bothered with that. This system works for both extroverts and introverts. The difference is that an introvert is absolutely focused on doing it. But if an, intro, if an introvert will beat an extroverted, their extroverted counterparts hands down if they focus on this. And an introvert will be successful in it too. But here's the, this is an interesting one. I went to work with a, a company called Colliers International. And I worked with one of their, one of their franchisors. And they had a real problem that they, that they had these three new sales consultants that weren't performing. And, you know, the, the principals, the four founders were trying to hire new people. And they were like, why is it we can't get these people to, to succeed? The, well, the honest answer was these people didn't have 20 years, 30 years of experience in real estate. So, of course, they're not going to be su- successful. I mean, a lot of people talk about the fact that it can cost up to seven to nine months worth of income that you pay a salesperson before they at least become profitable and effective. Mm. And I said, you know, 20 years of experience, you can't download by just teaching them the details of real estate. So what I did is I went in and I trained these people. And the person that invited, that pushed for me to get in and help them was an introverted guy. But the other two people were very extroverted. And one of them was excited about the fact that everybody in the company called himself, uh, called him the bulldog. This guy seriously fists on the table, standing up, yelling at the phone. And each phone call was a battle to be won and a foe to be vanquished. Like that's how he got appointments. Like he used to get himself hyped up on coffee and would just yell at the phone. And I remember telling him, I'm like, Alex, this is a horrible way to live. Like, why would you do that? He's like, well, that's how I get sales. I come from these two really extroverted parents and they've told me that's the way to win. And I said, all right, well, what I would love you to do is I would love you to try to tell stories. So what I did is I helped them and I taught them because these guys were cold calling first to get themselves appointments and then going out in the field and then uh, going out in the field and then closing deals. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, and we wrote a little script for how to introduce themselves on the phone. And then when they got to an objection, instead of saying, you know, oh, but here's the reasons why you should book with us or just push for that meeting and be relentless, I suggested that instead of doing that, they should say, And this is called an objection handling cushion. For us introverts out there, this is really required. For extroverts, not so much, but it's still really helpful when you're trying to think about what story to tell. It gives you a few seconds to think about what to say next, and it should be like a knee-jerk reaction, like somebody hit you on the knee and your leg flips out. What you say is, I perfectly understand, and the last thing I want to do is waste any of your time. However, now notice the word however, not the word but. The word, if I said I perfectly understand, the last thing I want to do is waste any of your time, but that means everything I said before that was a lie. This is what I really think. Mm. It's like going to your wife and saying, you look great in that dress, dear, but that's the end of your day. Yeah. So instead, if you say I perfectly understand, uh, the last thing I want to do is waste any of your time. However, the word however is an additional term. Now, to us, it's like, well, it's just a word difference, but subliminally, it makes such a massive difference. And then you'll say something like, I actually had a customer that said a very similar thing to you. He was, you know, and you go in, this is, you know, this person's name was John and you tell this whole story and we created these stories for their top five objections. And they start, and he was like, Matt, people give me eight seconds on the phone, eight seconds. There is no way they're going to listen to this minute and a half. Well, it was 45 second story of me explaining about this other customer. And I said, what I want you to do is I just want you to try it. So he did. And he did it. The bulldog did it to prove me wrong. And I've actually got a video 
case study with this guy about how he did it just to prove that it wouldn't work. <laughs> well, what happened was that people listened for the full story. And I've tested this. I've told these ridiculously long stories and people just listen. Here's why. We, as since kids, we've been told, programmed to listen to stories. So when somebody tells a story, our brain goes, story time, and we listen. And we interpret the story, and then we listen for the moral. But we definitely don't want to interrupt. It's so hard for somebody to walk out in the middle of a movie or break you in the middle of a story. So they listen to these long stories. And then they said, oh, well, I am like that person. And the moral of the story is that objection's wrong, and this is why. And, of course, that way you're not disagreeing with them. You're just giving them a moral. And the person then agreed to book an appointment. Here's what happened. They were a $3 million business. Their appointments quadrupled within the space of two months, and they added a million dollars on their bottom line within the space of a two-month period. They're now a $10 million business just a few months later, and they're now the fast, well, they're, they're fastest-growing commercial real estate agency in the city. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, you've, um, in, your, um, in your book, you share seven steps. Do you want to just very quickly... Uh, just share the, the top line, what each of those are, so we can see that full picture. Yeah, sure. And I think the most important thing for people to understand is that as they're going through these steps, and there's a there's a story in the in the back end of it of, of a real client, Derek Lewis. He's actually the person that wrote this book with me, and he was actually a client that I took from a you know struggling to make twenty seven thousand dollars a year in two thousand and thirteen to making twelve thousand dollars by the time he reached out to me in October of two thousand and fourteen to making forty thousand dollars within two weeks, eighty thousand within uh, eight weeks, and then one hundred and twenty by the end of the year, and just shy of three hundred thousand the year later. And he's he actually wrote the book in that chapter. He actually pulls back the curtain and talks about his own personal story. And one of the things that he says, which was key to this, was. He didn't follow all of the advice of what to say in each one of the steps, but just having the framework of the steps and going from one to the other made absolutely all the difference. And that's what increased his sales. So it's not about getting it all 100% correct. It's about just getting the structure right. And you'll find you do things out of order and you do things where you, you know, you forget certain steps and that's what's causing you to have the sales wrong. So the first one is obviously you've got to, develop rapport, right? You then got to qualify the customer to make sure, A, you're speaking to the right person. I can't tell you how many times when I was learning how to cold call. And, you know, for a lot of people, they do this when they go to a meeting or somebody calls them and asks them to come in and provide a quote. They're speaking to the wrong person. And the, that person, even if they've got the best rapport, their job is just to get the proposals. You've got to get in the room with the right person. So, Getting through and just doing that qualification process is absolutely vital. Then what you want to do is you want to establish credibility. Now, there are two ways of doing that, you know, explaining something that, you know, makes you credible or telling a story about something that makes you credible. There's a number of different ways to do that. Then what you want to do is you want to set an agenda, right? Now, we've all been to school and had somebody say to us that, you know, sorry, a teacher go up and just talk for like 45 minutes. We're like, where are they going with this? You've got to create an agenda because if you if a person doesn't know you've got a system, they don't know whether the sale is going to take two hours or if it's only going to take 45 minutes. And if this is the first chance they get to see your business, you want to see show them that everything is systemized. So it, it keeps them on track and it helps the customer understand that they're going to go through this process and that you've got it under control, which stops the word price coming in too soon. 
Now, after you get into that, you then want to ask huge numbers of questions. Now, if you do, if you don't do, and this is why each step builds on the other, if you don't set an agenda, when you start out asking questions, the customer's like, what is this, an interrogation? Why are you asking me all these questions? I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't want to tell this to my competitors. I don't feel comfortable telling you. So when you get to questions, now, because you've set an agenda and they, you built credibility and they, you fostered some trust with them, they're now happy to divulge a lot more than they would before, which gives you that ammunition to then move into the storytelling process, not telling them how you can help in reading a brochure, but actually telling them stories of people just like them who you help get the outcome that they were after. Once you've done that, you want to do what's called a trial close. Now, the reason why a trial close is so important is because I hate asking for a sale. For me, sales should be a natural progression moving step to step that just naturally leads to a sale with no hard closing. Now, a trial close is a way you stick your toe in the water and like, are they going to say yes to me or are they going to say no to me? And that's what the, the next step is. That's one of the most important steps outside storytelling, especially for us introverts that don't like to ask the difficult question. And it then gives you the confidence to then move into the final step, which is actually asking for the sale. But instead of saying, hey, would you like to do this? There's actually a strategy in the book around how to assume the sale, because after the trial close, you've got a 90, 95% chance that they're just going to move forward. But people hate being sold to, but they love to buy. And but they don't like being sold. And they don't like being sold by salespeople. So if you just assume the sale, it actually it's just sidesteps that really difficult question and nobody seems to notice. And that's, there's some really cool stories about how people sidestep the hard close in the book and how it, it maximizes the effect. Now, those are the steps, but then the other one is perfecting the process, understanding that sales is a natural progression, just like a website is never finished, just like you've got to always A-B test different things on a website. A sales process is exactly the same. You'll start to work out what works, what doesn't work, and you'll perfect it over time. And just like any scientific study, you only want to change one variable at a time as you're perfecting it so that it gets better and better and you know what's working, what's not working, what tests work, what tests don't. Excellent. Well, a uh, lot, lot to take in and think. I think people need to um, listen to this and uh, re-listen to it and with a, a notepad, actually, and, and, and go back and kind of study it. I think it makes it would be really helpful. And um, we're going to go to commercial break again now. After the break, we'll, we'll, we'll look into one or two of these areas that uh, Matthew has, uh, has shared and you know, get a little bit more detail about how you can maybe um, work with this system most effectively. So back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Matthew Pollard. We were talking about um, the introvert's edge. And, and before the break, Matthew shared with us a seven-step um, process. And um, we're just chatting in the break that that's something that um, you, can, you can apply uh, over the phone or you can apply face-to-face, so a sort of com- combination of it. Um, but, Matthew, I wonder maybe if you could just, um, you know, you talk initially about c- creating rapport. And that's something that sometimes people may may struggle with at the beginning of the process any tips for that yeah definitely so well firstly because i did have to fly through the the process really really quickly one of the things i do for people is the the first chapter of my book actually has a full detail explanation of every one of those steps and as derek will tell you you know just making sure that you do each step in order will make a profound difference to anybody's sales process, both extroverted or introverted. So if people go to the introvertsedge.com, they'll be able to download that first chapter and A, they'll, you know, they'll see that the book's just been uh, you know, uh, well, incredibly well-reviewed by some really high reviewers. I mean, so you'll have an entertaining time reading the book because guess what? It's full of stories. But you'll also learn those steps to the sale. Uh, so yeah, just go to that and check it out. But yeah, I mean, Rapport is one of the key variables because introverts kind of suck at developing rapport without a planned process. So I'll give you an example with that. One of the things, again, don't do it off the top of your head. Like when you walk into a person's business, quite frequently, you like extroverts are told to notice something in the office and then strike up a story about that. That doesn't work for an introvert. We can't think of what to say quick enough. So what I always suggest is have some conversation starters. So one of the things that, that, that I used to do was I used to, would, I, you know, I was living in Melbourne and Melbourne's population is going through the roof, like a lot of cities these days. So what I would do is I would get there on time and then talk about how I was so stressed that I wasn't going to get here on time. I'm like, um, you know, uh, hi, is John there? John would come up and I'd get it, John, how are you doing? And on the way back, I'd be like, Wow, how bad's the traffic these days? I spent, you know, it took me 45 minutes to get here. I can't believe it took me 45 minutes. It was only a few miles down the road or a few kilometers down the road. You know, how long does it take you to get here? I can't believe the traffic is just getting so bad. That would then get them to vent about the traffic and we built rapport based on the traffic. But I also embedded that I drove 45 minutes to see him. So give me at least 45 minutes in a meeting. Right. Mm. So I've created this rapport. The other thing that I used to do when I was at people's houses is I would, you know, go into somebody's house and I would say when I was about to walk in, you know, just just quickly, do you want me to take my shoes off? And they would be like, oh, yes, please. Because how many times do you have tradespeople come in with dirty shoes and they trample all over your carpet and it's disrespectful? Other mm. people would say, no, thanks. 
uh, no, you're fine. But I built that a little bit of rapport with the fact that, oh, he's respectful of me and my home. A lot of people don't do that. And it's funny. I had this one sales rep that just didn't do that step. And gosh, it made such a difference. I, he'd go into people's homes and the, he, he was very bad at developing relationships with people. And I said to him, Every time he called, like once he had a bad sales streak, I would always get him to call me. And I would just simply say, Jude, are your, are your shoes on or off? And be like, come on, Matt, it doesn't make that much of a difference. I'm like, in your next sale, take your shoes off. And he would. And all of a sudden, his sales went up. It's just an opportunity to develop rapport with somebody. It's not the fact that the shoes make a difference. It's that it creates a conversational starter that you can then create a dialogue on that create this, oh, this guy's such a respectful person or this girl's such a respectful person. The one I use now is when I go into meetings, I used to, well, I actually used to say somebody would offer me, you know, do you want a coffee? And I would say, you know, this is actually my fourth meeting uh, today. And if I have another coffee, it will. if I say yes, that'll be my fourth coffee, coffee and I'll be banging off the walls. And the last thing you want to do is have some hyped up person in your office trying to teach you about telecommunications or education. So reluctantly, I'm going to say no, uh, but I would love a glass of water. Always accept something because, again, that creates a bond. Now, yes. what I do is I say... Uh, I actually turn around and say, actually, I've completely stopped drinking coffee now because what I found was as a creative like I am, you know, a lot of times when I'm writing, I find that I, you know, because of my reading speed issues I have uh, that, that I have, I quite frequently find that when I hit a barrier or I can't figure out how to spell a word, I get that fight or flight mechanism that stresses me out and I'm done with writing for the day. So I've actually moved to Mate tea, which is actually this um, this. Uh, sorry, this um, Argentinian tea that actually is rampack full of coffee, just uh, sorry, caffeine, just like coffee, but it doesn't have that effect on me with the highs and lows. So that's basically what I drink now. But if, um, but I would, I would love a glass of water. The reason why I've done that is I've actually imparted some education and now, because everybody doesn't know what to do with their life if they didn't have coffee in the morning, we're now having this dialogue about how they could never give up coffee and it's really interesting and that they, especially in Melbourne, Australia, we have this real espresso culture and they're like, I don't know what I'd do without my espresso and in America, I don't know what I would do without my Starbucks 500 calorie, 5,000 calorie drink. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I think that's great to um, get that, that way that uh, you use that to build rapport. I was thinking when you you took your shoes you took your shoes off there. It's um, it's uh, I think it's, it came across in my flashed across my mind that you were um, almost sort of bearing a little bit of your soul with your with your customer by taking your shoes off. You were um, being you know being respectful with them, but also um, you know being prepared to give a little bit well, if that makes sense. The thing is that a lot, of, a lot of times, especially with the, the shoes idea, a lot of times we see tradespeople tramp around our house and we always know tradespeople don't respect our home. The other group of people that come to our home are our friends and family. Exactly. Now, our close friends and family know that we, they want shoes off but still sometimes forget to ask. But those are the people that we know respect us. So when we ask the question, do you want me to take my shoes off? They're like, oh, wow, nobody does that. What a respectful person. Yeah. We've just Tonight. become a friend of theirs. That's really what's happened. It's We've developed this straight away. Oh, this person's like me. They care about stuff like that. Mm. And people always buy off people that are like them. Yes. So, so you, t- you talked about, um, we talked about rapport and... Uh, and then you, the next sort of step was about qualifying uh, the customer. So is that, is that about qualifying whether they're the person who could potentially buy or make a decision from you? 
Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. So in the book, there's a, um, there is a forward from a, a lady called Judy Robinette. She's got a book called uh, How to Be a Power Connector. And, uh, you know, it was listed by Inc. as the, the number one book, a business book for 2014. And originally when she reached out to me, you know, we were having a conversation and she, you know, she always struggled with the, the price question, you know, and people always wanted to know about price. And when you get to, when you get to talk about price, you know, if, if, if somebody's asking about price um, and, and they do it too far up front, well, you need to detract them to the past. But with her, she, when, you're, when you get to that price conversation, there is a way that you can, and we can talk about this in a second, there is a way to make sure that when you're having that price conversation, you then can double confirm that you are actually speaking to the right person. But if you get to the discussion about price and you haven't qualified it's the right person, you've wasted all the time before that. Best example I can give you is when I was walking door to door, I was going into people's businesses and I would, you know, it's tough to get people to listen to you. I mean, at the start, as I said, it was 93 doors before my first sale. By the time I was done, I was selling to like six or seven people every 10 doors. But the major thing was what I found is I would go in and I would try and convince the person at the front that I was worth listening to. And at the end of that, they would then turn around to the boss and say, you know, I would spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes talking to them, developing rapport. There was no one in the store. They were happy to talk to me. And then they go into the back office and yell out to the boss, hey, John, do you want to do you want to change telco plans? No. OK, no, sorry, mate. We're not interested. I just wasted 30 minutes of my time talking to the wrong person. So what I did when I first started was I said, OK, I've got to make sure I'm speaking to the right person. So I walked in and I would say something like, um, hi, my name's Matt. I'm, um, I'm here on behalf of X telecommunications company. And we're just trialing out a new savers package in this area. And my job is to come out to double check that you actually qualify for that. Are you the right person to speak to? And they hear the word qualify and they're like, well, that's different. He's not here to sell me something. He's here to quali- qualify me for something. And they go into the back office. and They'll be like, uh, John, there's some guy here to make sure you qualify for something to do with some discounts on your phone plan. And the, I would go, what's that? And he'd walk out just to find out what it was. Now I know I'm guaranteed I'm speaking to the right person. Yes. Now, when you're speaking to someone on the phone and they've reached out to you, the main thing that you want to make sure is you're speaking to the owner. So, what, Because, again, you talk to the secretary, you may have the best rapport in the world, but all they're going to do is put through a bunch <coughs> of proposals. So one of the things that I say is, you know, I say, you know, we, we have, we build up the rapport and, and you know, I, 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 as, through the qualification process, I might say something like, now, as we go through this process, I'm going to have to ask you a load of questions on how exactly you want to apply this service or exactly what outcome you're trying to get uh, for the products, uh, the products and services you're inquiring about. So just to double check. Whereabouts are you in the business? Are you in the are you, are you in the research? Are you the person that's you know being delegated the job of doing the due diligence and doing the research, or are you the person that actually is in charge of making that decision? Because you know if you're doing the due diligence, I want to make sure I provide you as much education as possible to help you make that decision the right way. Because you know you've got to go through that tender process, which I perfectly understand. On the flip side, if you're in charge of actually making that decision, I really want to help you understand how specifically it will apply to you. And people are, oh no no, I've just been, um, I've, I've just been put in charge of of getting the proposal. He's like, that's perfect. Okay. So what you'll find is, as we're going to get into this next stage, I'm going to ask you a whole series of questions about the outcomes you're looking for. And what you might find is that you don't have a couple of those answers. Now, what you'll find is that you know I really don't like doing that whole sales thing. I want to make sure that what I do really fits your unique needs. And 
as a byproduct of that, if you don't know the answer to some of those questions, a salesperson will just ram something down your throat. And I, you know, personally, I hate it when people do that to me, so I don't want to do it for you. So if it's okay, as we get to some of those questions, if you don't know the answer, what I might suggest is that we actually get on the phone with you and the person making the decision, because then I can educate the two of you on how to make the best decision for you, regardless of whether that's me or not, because we're not at that stage yet, just so you know what questions to ask. And also, you've actually really thought through the outcome that you want to make. Is that okay? And the customer, and the person's going to go, well, yeah. I mean, if you're going, you're going to do my job for you, and yeah, if you're happy with us not using you, if if we go somewhere else, then I've not committed to any. Yeah, sure, that sounds great. Now I've got past the gatekeeper because, of course, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions that the gatekeeper really doesn't know the answer to, and I'm going to say, actually, one of the things before I can provide you a, a formal quote or a formal pricing, I really need to know the answer to this question. What well, you know, what I would suggest is, why don't we all get on the phone together? Now I'm not dealing with a gatekeeper. I'm going to be the only person that speaks to the owner and I'm going to make that sale. Mm. <clears throat> We've got we've just got a, a, a sort of couple of minutes now before I need to uh, wrap up. Well, actually, probably a minute, actually. And, and, and I'm noticing the way that you speak, um, you know, it's quite hypnotic. Um, you know, is, is there a, a, you know, an aspect of that sort of, you know, hypnotic way that you, you tend to communicate and tend to sell to people that also... Um, adds to your uh, success with your selling? Well, see, the, the things that I'm telling you over the podcast today, if I was an extrovert, these would be things that are occurring to me as we go, and I'd be doing it, you know, off the tip of my tongue. As an introvert, this nothing about this isn't prepared, and it's all prepared by pre- creating these scripts and these, pro- these processes. Now, of course, I didn't prepare for this specific interview, but I've prepared for all the interviews I'm going to do about this topic. So I have these stories. They're all in my repertoire. So the reason why they're hypnotic is because I've practiced them to the point. Like when we watch a movie, we lose two hours without even thinking. And the reason for that is that I've created stories. And this is exactly what I'm doing with, with people on the interview today. I'm, not, I'm practicing what I preach. Everything that I tell is a story that has an underlying moral of, wow, I really need to learn this stuff. And that's what we're trying to achieve here. So inside the book, there are physical scripts that you can use with your clients. Now, don't use those exact scripts, of course, because for me as an introvert, the most important thing is that you sell congruently and authentically you. So as a byproduct of that, what you need to do is grab these scripts, understand the system, put the steps together and do the work to make these stories your own. But just like on this podcast, how they're hypnotic, just like when I sell, it's hypnotic. Imagine doing this with every customer you spoke to on the phone and every customer you spoke to face to face. Sales, of course, would would go through the roof. I mean, the process the goal of, of learning the sales process is to get the sale to a point where you can almost put on a tape recorder with a client and just hand out the paperwork when the tape recorder is finished. The reason why people think sales is a variable process that has lots of different outputs that they couldn't do that is because they don't have a system. So because of some of the initial things that they do wrong, sales are always different. Now, there is one other key element to that, and that is that people haven't identified their niche. So they're speaking to everybody which is speaking to nobody so they don't know who specifically the customer is so they need too many stories and they don't have a strong message like i'm the i'm a business coach i'm a branding expert i'm so many things and nobody cares but saying i'm the rapid growth guy gets people to you know hear me in a crowded market and people should definitely do that step 
I have to stop you there, Matthew. We've run out of time. Uh, it's been fascinating talking to you. I think people need to go um, to your site and go and buy The Introvert's Edge, um, how the quiet and shy can outset anyone. So all the information, the system, and the stories are all in there from Matthew. So a you know, huge thank you, Matthew, for joining us today. been absolutely fascinating. I hope you've enjoyed being on the show. It's been a delight, mate. Chris, thanks very much for having me on. You're very welcome. And on next week's show, so if you want to find out more about Matthew Pollard, go to matthewpollard.com. And on next week's show, we've got Shirin um, Shabasturi. Uh, and, and Shirin is a, a mountaineer, and she's set up a, a business uh, taking people to Iran to do expeditions and things like that. And we're going to talk about, um, about really um, taking your passion and whether you should or you shouldn't uh, turn it into a career. So we'll be back with you again uh, next week. In the meantime, any questions, comments, uh, do send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Have a wonderful week. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.